Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. Welcome to New Books and Military History. I am Boris Karpa. And today we have with us a very special guest. We have James C. Goodall, who is um, a very accomplished author. He has uh, written and published 27 books, and most of them are about stealth aircraft, but some of them are all about a different form of stealth, and today's book is about a different st- st- sort of form of stealth at all. It's Nautilus to Columbia, 70 years of the U.S. Navy's nuclear submarines, and we are pleased to have you with us today, James. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, the last thing I ever thought when I was a kid that I would end up being a published author but it's, it just goes to show you that no matter what you think when you're 25, you know, 50 years later, things have changed. So, no, I have uh, my, I wrote my first book on the F-117 Stealth Fighter in 1990. And it was the best it was the best book that uh, I've ever written because I think it sold like 67,000 copies. But I've just I do about one book a year. It's something I enjoy. Most of my books are. Uh, pictorial histories. I'm a retired Air Force uh, historian. That was my, uh, that's what my uh, career was, my last 16 years in the military. And everything I focus on are, you know, all related to the military. But after I finished my Los Angeles class book, and then I did a Seawolf Virginia class, I had a lot of Navy guys that I know that said, you know, there's, we don't have anything about our, our older subs, the nuke-powered ones. So I started kicking the can around and decided I was going to do something about that, uh, that omission. And I decided to do more or less what is I would consider a memory book. And I cover all 227 uh, nuclear-powered submarines built and or under construction for the United States Navy. And that goes from the Nautilus SSN uh, 571 all the way up to the newest submarine that they're just cutting steel on now, and that would be the USS Columbia, which is a replacement for the Ohio boats. And the Ohio boats, uh, they're our nuclear deterrent. Uh, They built 18 of them. And these, these monsters are 560 feet long, uh, 42 feet in diameter and submerged its 18,000 tons. Now, the Columbia is going to replace the Ohio-class boats as a ballistic missile submarine. The uh, original Ohio boats came out. They had 24 launch tubes. Because of salt, they had to put ballast in four of them. And the, and the new Columbia-class uh, is only going to have 14, correction, 12 launch tubes for the uh, Trident II uh, submarine launch ballistic missile. And the thing about the thing about the Ohio boats, in submarines in general, 
The only persons who know where those submarines are is not the president, not the secretary of defense or uh, chief of naval operations. He may have an idea where they're at. When the Ohio boats are in the Pacific, uh, their area of responsibility is about 150,000 square miles. And they're submerged. They, you know, when you go to work in the morning on a submarine, you don't know if it's daylight, uh, if it's nighttime. You're operating on Zulu time, which is uh, time at uh, uh, your Greenwich mean uh, time. And this way, they, they try to keep a, a, normal, uh, a normal sleep schedule. But on a submarine, you're doing something 24 hours a day, seven days a week when you're on patrol. So it, it takes a very, very special group of uh, Initially, men. There are a couple of young ladies, you know, women. In uh, they started out in the in the ballistic missile submarines because they have the room. Fast attacks. You know, there's only uh, two people that have their own private room, and that would be the captain and the XO. Everybody else has uh, their small bunk. The, the the group that has the the best on a submarine are the chiefs. The chiefs run the boat. The captain may be responsible for it, but it's the chief of the boat, uh, a senior uh, E9 uh, command master chief. That that really is that's his boat. You don't you don't mess with my boat. You don't break my boat. Uh, you don't run into things. So it's uh, that submarine service, United States Navy, and I think probably worldwide, regardless of who it is, whether it's our. Or, our Russian adversaries or counterparts or anybody else who are in submarines. There's a, there's a real kinship between the, uh, the, the groups. You know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the book itself. And, you know, writing a book, as you well know, you've written 27 of them. It's always an adventure. It's always an adventure. And can you tell us a little bit about how you, no, when you wrote From Nautilus to Columbia, can you tell us about some of the obstacles which you've overcome you know, when you were working on the book? Because remember, a lot of the people we have in our audience, because of the nature of our show, they are themselves writers or they're aspiring writers. And so if there is anything you could share from your experience of how you worked on this book and the obstacles you've overcome, I think it would be very helpful to them. Well, I mean... Uh... When I decided I was going to do a book on on submarines, I sent a uh, one I've I've had I, I had already had a publisher, but I contacted uh, the United States Navy Office of Public Affairs, and they used to have a, an organization in New York, uh, but they d- disbanded that here a couple of years ago. But I go through there, and and it goes all the way from it starts at the top. And it's, an, it's easier to start at the top than start at the bottom and work your way through. And I gave him my request. What did I what I wanted to photograph uh, when I could be there? I'm retired, so I'm very flexible time wise. And I, I I have friends, a lot of friends that are submariners. And well, how in the heck did you get a camera on 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 the USS Connecticut? That's one of the three Sea Wolf boats. I said, I asked. I mean, that's basically that's that's you know that's the key to be able to do uh, do a book like myself is you have to go to the top, ask permission. This is what you want to do, and uh, do everything, do follow up, and make sure you know once you've uh, gone on a on a submarine and you've done a sh- uh, a shoot, 
and you've interviewed, you know, probably more than like the captain and, you know, the XO and of course the chief of the boat. He's a, the senior enlisted person on the boat. Uh, it gives you, it gives you an incredible uh, overview of just what it takes to be a submariner. And there's no magic to it. It's just, you, you have to start, you have to start writing the letters and, you know, working from the top on down. So from this, I'm, you know, and uh, most of our readers have not read the book, but I have read the book. And I want to say to our audience, it's very richly illustrated. There's lots of photographs. There's photographs of, I believe, every submarine in the service, like the title says. And I'd like to ask, did, were there any problems for you to acquire these photographs, these images? Well, it it took me seven and a half years to get on one of the three uh, Sea Wolf boats, which I had a chance to get on the USS Connecticut. And all three Sea Wolf boats, these, the Sea Wolf, the Connecticut, and the Jimmy Carter are all based on the West Coast. And I live here in Arizona. So it was, and at the time I was living in the Pacific Northwest. So it worked out really well for my transportation but that was that was probably the hardest one. And and guys I know that served on the Connecticut were dumbfounded that I could get a camera on board. And they said there was no magic to it. I went through proper channels. I started with you know the Office of uh, Public Affairs at you know at the headquarters of the U.S. U.S. Navy in the Pentagon, and worked my way down from there. And that's the best way to do it. And I and also. The- have- uh, yeah, go on. And the historic images for the other submarines, did the Navy give you any trouble with those? Uh, no, but it was it was a real challenge uh, finding, uh, finding them. Uh, I was blessed by knowing uh, quite a few submariners, and I got a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, images from, from these guys. But most of it, I went to the Naval Historical uh, Sites uh, websites, and almost most everything uh, today has been scanned at fairly high resolution, and it's you know, it's on it's it's in various uh, websites run by or for the United States Navy. So, but the challenge was was there's 227 submarines, and trying to find at minimum at least three photos of that particular submarine, and then. And every submarine has at least one page. The name boats, like the Ohio boats or the Los Angeles class or the Sea Wolf class and all the way down, the named boats will have a uh, expanded uh, description and, and go from minimum of two pages to a maximum of about 10 pages for a particular uh, class of submarine. I also included the interiors of the Los Angeles class, the Sea Wolf class, Virginia class, and the Ohio class. So all the modern submarines are covered in, in the book photographically. The book is, uh, is uh, 352 pages. It's one photo short of 1,300. And that was a challenge you know, going through. I mean, I have thousands of images some are better than others. Some of them are real bad shape. And one of the things I enjoy about my pictorials is going through with Photoshop and some other software project uh, programs to 
take a photo that was something you would never use and spend a day or more cleaning it up, taking the scratches and the thumbprints and the, the fold marks and whatever, uh, color correcting it, putting it back together and getting ready for, uh, you know, to be put in my book. So that was, that was a challenge, but that's the part I enjoy the most besides putting the books together. The other thing I do when I start a project, whether it's on submarines or aircraft, is I actually, uh, every, I do my stuff because they're, his, they're historical uh, pictorials. Uh, it's 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 all put in there chronologically. So you, you know, when you start at the front of the page, you know the front of the book. That's the earliest uh, aircraft or the submarines, and all the way up to uh, stuff that's still you know, still being uh, uh, thought out, and you know the uh, the future. It's like the you know, like the B two stealth bomber. That was a real challenge because that it, that program is really really classified. It was when I started, but. On my on the submarines, uh, they when you go in and do a photo shoot before you leave the sub, you know they you know the security officer, which is usually the XO, he'll go through and make sure you didn't have you didn't shoot anything you weren't supposed to, and you and you know and you know what you can't they tell you what you can't shoot, and there's no photography in the back of the sub, so if it's a 560 foot long submarines, you know, the back, uh, you know, 200 and some odd feet are engine room and reactor room and maneuvering room. And those areas are all off limits to anybody, even, uh, members of the crew you know, can't go back there unless they, you know, they have the, 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 the special N or whatever it is on the security badge. And you could look down the tunnel going to the back of the you know, back of the sub, but if I stuck my head in, just my head into the uh, the passageway, I would be arrested for espionage. So it's something you don't want to do. So, so just to you know, zoom in a little bit on this, can you tell us a little bit more? You know, very very few civilians, as far as I know, have ever been able to tour. Modern nuclear submarine, uh, you know, when a, a Sea Wolf class certainly, and you 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 you've mentioned a little bit about the hard work which you've had to do to get this access. You said it, it it's taken you seven and a half years to do this, and this is approximately about as much as it takes a submarine of this class to be, to get built. Pretty much. And Pretty so, much. can you can you tell us a little bit more about the process about how this happened? Well, uh, uh, one of the, one of the things I do when I start out, I start uh, sending out a lot of emails uh, to. I I, I went to uh, Electric Boat General General Dynamics Electric Boat in Groton, Connecticut, and they they built the Ohio boats and they build half of the uh, Virginia class submarines, and then you have uh, uh, Newport News. I think it's Huntington uh, Eagle and uh, dry docks and, and uh, that's where they build this. That's where they assemble submarines. And that's also where they build uh, aircraft carriers. So it's a, so you contact, you contact the, uh, the manufacturers of the, the craft, whatever it is, if it's a submarine uh, or if it's an aircraft, then you go to the various aircraft manufacturers 
One of the problems associated with that part is there's been so much consolidation over the years that a lot of stuff has, has fallen through the cracks, so it's more difficult. But then uh, the Navy, it, just, it takes an awful lot of uh, uh, shoe leather. Most of it's tennis shoe leather now, but uh, t- to go through. Now, the, uh, the book is hardbound. It's in a la- uh, landscape format. And it is uh, 352 pages, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, just one photo short of 1,300. And the, one of the real challenges is once you get a, you know, when you, you get a whole slew of, of photos for a particular uh, device, whether it's a submarine or an airplane, is when you have to uh, make sure you have the right photos going with the, with the right particular airplane uh, and you you try to you try to get the best overall view. I'm I'm a very visual person. At one time in my life, I wanted to be a, a I wanted to be an artist, but then I decided I also wanted to eat. <laughs> so I I went into communications, and there I went into in the Air Force, and then I went into history. And uh, it's it's where it's where I think I I found my home. I really I really thoroughly enjoy it. I it's. It's a uh, it's it's a walk through the past and and, and also into the future. I I've, I did another book with uh, Osprey on uh, seventy five years of the Lockheed Skunk Works, and that was a real challenge. But and that took that took fifty years to put that one together. But the uh, the the thing is, you you want it you want to get if it's if you're going to have photos, you want them not just to be. Uh, plain old the same view of the same you know piece of equipment or whatever you want to give you you want to give some color to it if if you if you have if your book can have color and you also want to have high resolution images that can be a challenge on on real old stuff when you're when you're dealing off of a uh, maybe a, a, a two by three or three by four uh print that someone shot with their with their uh, point and shoot, or their uh, remember the 110 film with the little cartridges way back in the day, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, those are real hard to get a decent image out of. But fortunately, there's enough good software out there nowadays that even if you have a soft image, you can clean those up and sharpen them up. And I've been and I've been uh, fortunate enough to have people I know that are artists and and also you know authors you know give you know give me a, a a leg up or a hand you know a hand in trying to find you know the best products to put your book together and the, and then the real hard part is when you do get ready to put the book together how do you start where do you start uh, how do you you know how do you organize everything and again my stuff is all chronological in my uh Nautilus to Columbia uh, book that we're talking about. In the beginning, you know, we the United States Navy lost two nuclear-powered submarines. One was the uh, the Thresher, and the other one was the Scorpion. Uh, the Thresher was doing some deep dives. Uh, they something was uh, going terribly wrong with uh, with the system. They tried to do an emergency blow. That's when you blow out the air 
from the uh, ballast tanks and rise to the surface. And for whatever reason, that that particular design, and of course, Thresher was an, was one of the early you know early nuclear powered subs. They learned an awful lot. Unfortunately, it, it killed the entire crew of the Thresher. And they uh, they figured that a there was a bend in in one of the uh, uh, plumbing where the uh, air goes in to blow the uh, ballast tanks free of water, and they weren't using dry air. And you know, if if you run some air at high pressure through a, an orifice, it'll it'll start building up frost. And what was happening when they tried to do the emergency blow? There was so much moisture in the in the air that it it froze. It, it just it created an ice jam, and they couldn't you know they couldn't surface, and they ended up imploding at about ten thousand feet, and, and it's so, in, that's instant. So they don't you know they don't uh, suffer anything, but it is it is an instant. It's it's a terrible thing to happen. And so I just like to you know. As I understand, your book uh, covers every every U.S. Navy nuclear submarine which ever existed. And, you know, in terms of what you learned over, over, you know, writing your book, can you tell us, are there obviously some of the stuff you've learned you cannot tell, but within your knowledge, can you tell us about the trends, the trends in the development of these submarines? You know, obviously the technology improved, but can you maybe go into a bit more detail for our audience? Well, the uh, nuclear power submarines, because they're a a machine of war, or in our case, it's a it's a deterrent to war. The you know they're very very secretive about what what they can do, uh, how deep they can go, how fast they can go. Uh, the basic information that has come out that the Virginia Sea Wolf class, uh, you can go down below a thousand feet. Most of the time, there's never any need to go down that deep. Uh, the NR-1, which is a the smallest nuclear-powered submarine ever built, it only had a crew of 11. And I asked, uh, and with a top speed of four knots, it was it was towed out to its site. And it would dive, and it, it could it could go down, you know, below three thousand feet. And it had wheels on the bottom. It had uh, claws that can actually grab it, grapple things, and bring it back up to the surface. But the, with the crew of eleven, I, I asked a, a friend of mine who was on it, and he won't talk much about it other than the fact that he was on it. He said, well, uh, how long can you stay down? He said, well, 30 days. And I said, well, I thought it's nuclear powered and it makes its own air and everything else. He says, yeah, that's correct. But on the NR1, there was no, there was no bathroom. You had a port little you know, porta potty. And the 30 days is when the, when the porta potty was full. That's when you decided to go, you know, go back to the surface. The, the thing about submarines is when you go out on a patrol, you know, you're not sure how long you're going to go, you're going to be gone. And, but it's tip, it's typically on a ballistic missile submarine, you're away from your family for 75 to 90 days. 
on your fast attacks. You know, they go out and patrol you know, the, the world's ocean and they could be gone for six months. And that's, that's hard on families. But the, the crews on submarines are a special breed. You know, they, they have no problem with retention. They, because uh, being a submariner is all voluntary. And the, from, from the cook to the captain, uh, you have to be able, you know, once you get your, your dolphins, that is your, you know, like a pilot would get his wings. When, when you're an enlisted person, when you get your dolphins, that means that you spent six months to a year and a half learning the submarine where you could, in a time of a, an emergency, you can uh, step into any position and fill in. Maybe not know the job, but you know, you, you, know, you know how to operate or turn something off or be able to, to uh, support the other, you know, the other crew member in the time when there's a crunch or there, maybe there was an injury. When the, uh, when the USS uh, San Francisco hit the sea mound here, what, 15 years ago, it was doing 35 knots. And that's going, and you're cranking, you're cranking pretty good. And it hit a, it hit a mountain. Uh, it wasn't on the maps and the charts they had in the submarine. It was on newer charts, but the, the ones on the San Francisco weren't, uh, hadn't been updated. But one of the spooky things is they actually had a, a, a very, very large uh, hatch opened up in the, uh, uh, in the bow of the of the, the submarine of the uh, USS San Francisco, you can service the sonar when you're underwater by going into the chief's quarters, going to the lower bunk, opening a hatch is about thirty inches uh, in diameter, and you crawl through there and you have about thirty feet to the back of the sonar. So if there's you're having problems, you could go do some servicing back there. That ha- that hatch had been opened up to about uh, twelve to fifteen minutes before the, the USS San Francisco hit the sea mound. So we could have lost the sub, and then it turns around. Uh, you know, here a couple just a few years ago, the USS Connecticut did the same thing. It it hit a sea mound, and when you have you know. Nine, eight or nine thousand tons of submarine going at twenty to thirty knots, you know, hitting a mountain, it causes a lot of damage. You know, fortunately, the steel's strong enough; uh, neither sub was lost. In the San Francisco, there were only three people that weren't injured; they were strapped in. That was the bow planesman. Actually, it was four people: the bow planesman, the stern planesman, the uh, chief of the watch and the uh, chief of the boat. So you had those people were, uh, you know, were, were actually strapped in. So when they, when they were doing 30 some odd miles an hour and stopped instantly, people were thrown against, there's no, there's no soft corners in a submarine or any type of military or, uh, aircraft or, or ship. And people were thrown against, uh, you know, the equipment and the chassis and whatever. And it was, it said it, it, it was, it looked like a gruesome mess in that submarine when they finally got into uh, 
back into port. The other thing, if it hadn't been for the for the chief of the watch, when when they hit the and this is what this is what the training does. It was just, it, it, he didn't even have to think about it. He emerged, he immediately hit the uh, emergency blow handles, and they went. You no, know, they you know, they headed to the surface. So the, probably the best crews and best trained people in the United States Navy are the submariners because when they're at sea, when they're at 400 or 500 or 800 feet under the surface of the ocean and you have a problem, you have to have the talent on board of those 140 to 160 crew members to be able to, you know, to do and maintain, you know, the sub's integrity, be able to, you know, to you know, fight a war if they have to, um, and uh, know how to, uh, tail the bad guys like in the hunt for red October It's just a submarines are just an incredible piece of equipment. They're black, they're sinister. The general public have no idea what the, what the submarine looks like out of water. They have no idea what it's like in the inside and they're really fascinating machines. And that's probably what draw, drew me to them. And I, but I've loved submarines since I was a little boy. I'm uh, pushing 79 years old. I grew up in I grew up in what is now called Silicon Valley, and I can remember going on my first submarine when I was in Cub Scouts. And I you get on the and these were all diesel electric, and you get in the submarines. You say, why would someone volunteer to do this? But it's not it's not something that they say, oh, ick, I'm going to be I'm going to go into submarines. It is it is a choice you pick, and it and these these get once once you're a submariner, they call them bubbleheads. Uh, it's the, one of the closest knit communities in the United States military, short of a marine uh, platoon. So I'm very very proud people on on submarines, and I'm uh, I'm honored to know a ton of them, and I'm just uh, they they all seem to like my books. And I'm pleased at that. That's 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 what I want to do. This the book for for guys who have been on submarines. There's a uh, a gentleman that I I, I set my uh, early work to just to get his opinion on how the book was coming together. Uh, he he was a chief, but he made it into warrant officer. And Mac uh, he. Uh, he 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 did a three-page book review on my book, and it just it just pleased me. And he said, "I've been on six of the subs, and you have them, and you had everything was correct." And that's what made made me the most proud is that that the submariners, you know, not just the guys who you know that are interested in submarine, but the guys who are actually served on them, uh, enjoy my books because. No one. It's it's the first time that that all the, the nuclear powered submarines have been covered in under in a in between a uh, in a single book. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons I did it. I felt that it was something that was missing. The submarine community that I the guys that I knew knew that that was a they would sure like to see something where I could I could see my sub. I can see my boat. And it's, it, it's they don't call submarines ships. They call them boats. And I guess if they're on top of the water, they're a ship. If they're under the water, they're a boat. I guess that's their logic behind that. But it was just, it's, 
I've met a new group of, of people that I admire and a, a new group of friends uh, in doing these books on the submarines. And I'm an Air Force guy. I've been on 21 different nuclear-powered submarines and a, quite a few uh, diesel electrics. I mean, I've been on U-boat uh, 505 in Chicago. I've been to uh, you know the one in Pearl Harbor. I've been on the one in San Francisco Harbor. I was uh, in... I guess they had a, a, a Foxtrot-class submarine, a Russian submarine in L.A. Uh, for a number of years. I was on that. So I've been on a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, different subs. And my airplane friends, now I wrote the very first book on the F-117, and my area of expertise is stealth or low observables. And uh, it, it, is, it is just something that, yeah, you know, my friends say, "Why in the heck are you doing submarines? You did you did the first book on the on the F one seventeen. You've done books on the F twenty two, the F thirty five. Excuse me, um, the B two, and now you're doing things on submarines. Why? I said because they're black, they're stealth, and they're deadly, and that's that's all the qualifications I need to uh, be interested in it and. They're pretty much uh, built and operated in a classified environment, and that's the part that's the part that intrigues me the most. So, can I just you know, so as we you know, from this, I just like you know, I I think you are now not now that you've spent seven years researching this, which is about as much time as I spent writing my PhD dissertation. So. I think that this qualifies you as a, as a, as an expert, a subject matter expert in submarines. So I'd just like to you know we've talked about the past, and I'd like to ask you, you know, we've we see all sorts of predictions about the future of submarines, and some people talk about the conventional Trident program, where they want to have a variety of conventional warheads for the Trident missiles, and sometimes people talk about the large autonomous uh, unmanned submarines, which they talk about. There are other things. What is your prediction? What does the future hold for the U.S. nuclear submarine fleet? Just just like uh, uh, aircraft, you, you have your loyal wingman, which uh, is an unmanned craft that will you know, flying formation with, you know, F-22 or F-35 or even the B-2 or the B, the new B-21 Raider. It is, it is just log, logical pro, you know, progression that the Navy would, uh, would have uh, remotely operated submarines. Now they have, you know, they have torpedoes or special weapons that they'll, they'll drop on the bottom of, 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 of an area, say a choke point, the Straits of Hormoz or whatever, where it will, if, if it becomes, if he send a signal out and they arm it, it's going to be listening for other submarines or other ships coming through the area. And depending on the acoustic signature, and it, computers nowadays, they can tell the, the noise coming out of a particular submarine or a particular uh, surface vessel. And they know they know what kind of uh, ship or or boat it is, its classification, and the thing could launch, and that would be an unmanned uh, system. They had uh, Lockheed Skunk Works did a uh, uh, 
a UAV, an underwater vehicle that would uh, be launched from an Ohio class or a, or a Columbia class ballistic missile submarine. It would be a drone. It would fl- it would uh, float to the surface. It would launch with a uh, uh, like a small rocket booster. It will do its reconnaissance. It will come back into the area. It will land in the water and it will sit in the water until it's retrieved. All the time that the uh, the mother sub, they you know the one that launched it, never surfaces. So it's. Uh, Will there, will there be unmanned submarines? Absolutely. Just like there's, you know, driverless cars. Today, I wouldn't do it, but today you could, uh, a commercial airliner could take off and you know, fly from uh, San Francisco to Sydney, Australia, or uh, from San Francisco over the pole and into uh, uh, Europe without ever having anybody in the cockpit. Now, it's, now, psychologically, that's a little bit frightening. But in, in, in reality, once the uh, aircraft is in the air, it's on autopilot. So the only thing there, the pilot in a commercial airliner, or in today's uh, military transports, you're there as backup in case the computer screws up. So uh, will there be un- unmanned submarines? Absolutely. Will there be you know, other craft that are, you know, up, you know a subsurface craft? I, I'd have to say absolutely. So it's just, it's, it's evolution. It's like, the, uh, it's like the airplane. We started out, there were wooden fabric. Uh, they got all the way up to, say, the Blackbird, which is, you know, which is my area of expertise, in 15 years, you go from uh, Chuck Yeager going Mach 1 in a rocket-powered air- airplane, and 15 years later, the, the Lockheed Skunk Works have built an airplane to fly through the air at Mach 3.2, 3.3. That's 3,400 feet per second. That's faster than a speeding bullet. We'll never have that in, you know, on a subsurface uh, platform but every time you turn around, they're coming up with new ways to make it quieter. And that's, and that's where our submarine fleet, both the ballistic missile submarines and the fast attacks, where we, uh, where we excel above everybody. A good, now, for instance, when the uh, Chinese start up their ballistic missile submarines, I think they have two. Uh, they're copies of the, uh, actually the the Washington you know, George Washington class uh, SSBN, and the design was taken from the Ravel Model Company. They did uh, the, the USS George Washington back in the day. Uh, I'm talking about back in the uh, the early '60s, late '50s, early '60s. And the Chinese copied, you know, and it was very, very accurate as far as the, you know, how everything was laid out. But when they start, when they start their their reactors, and when they start uh, going out of the harbor, we can we can pick them up uh, on the west coast because they make so much noise. A Virginia class slash Sea Wolf class fast attack submarine is quieter at 25 knots submerged than a Los Angeles class is tied up to the pier. 
So the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians, they all have submarines, but they're all noisy. And we have not only the best submarines, we have the quietest submarines. The uh, American ingenuity has given us the best of the best. We have the best people operating those submarines. And we're quiet. You can't hear, you, you cannot track or hear a modern day uh, U.S. Navy nuclear powered submarine, whether it be a, a, a Virginia class, which is the newest fast attack, or the new upcoming uh, Columbia class. So it, it is, the, and it, this, is a, this is a cat and mouse type of uh, uh, warfare too. And if you've seen movies like, like say, uh, Hunt for Red October, or the other one would be uh, Crimson Tide. Uh, those show a little bit. They're, they're, Crimson Tide was really hokey because you know they you had um, I can't remember his name. The um, who he's, yeah, but he's crawling crawling underneath the floor of a submarine to you know to go from one area to the other to try to keep from getting shot because there's a mutiny on board. That's baloney. There's there's no room under the floor or under the, uh, above the uh, the ceiling in a submarine. Every square inch of that submarine is utilized with uh, either food food stuff. When you go into a submarine, they're going to go out on patrol. You get it, and if and you see you're not a submariner, but as you go in, you know you're. If there's the, empty space, it's been accounted for. It's been used in some way. Absolutely, they put all the canned goods on the floor, and they and they have uh, they're already pre-cut their uh, uh, planks that go down on top of the cans. So all of a sudden you're you know if you're a real tall guy, all of a sudden you're starting to hit your head on things that are hanging down from the t- you know, from the uh, top of the uh, gangway. And as as you go out and patrol, and you you uh, you start emptying the stuff out of the uh, out of the, the warehouse part of a submarine and you start resupplying from the stuff that you have uh, put down on the on the uh, uh, floor the other thing if you see pictures of summer you know, submariners eating and they have uh, fresh vegetables they're either in in port or they haven't been out at sea more than 10 days after 10 days there's nothing fresh as far as produce produce go and the other thing, when they got, you cannot use uh, today's deodorants. I think they're starting to change them because the active ingredient in your typical deodorant has chemicals in there that will clog up the CO2 scrubbers. So when you're on a submarine, you don't wear deodorant. And they call the guys when they come off a boat if they've been underwater for, you know, 70 or 80 or 90 days, they call them stinkies because you do reek, you reek of the the smell of, uh, of everybody. And if you are on patrol, whether it's a ballistic missile submarine or a, a, a fast attack, if they're running silent or ultra quiet, you don't take a shower that can go on for 10 days. Uh, if you're going to go to the bathroom, uh, you only, you know, you're only going to flush that thing if you absolutely have to, cause it's full. So it, it's, 
you really come back. You really come back from patrols. Everything you, everything you, all your clothes, which has to fit in an area that's about six or eight inches deep, three, not quite, you know, say thirty inches wide and and six and a half feet long. That's everything you own and uh, wear, both uh, on the sub and when when you're on sh- you know, shore duty, is in that that small area. So there's, uh, it, like, like I say, it takes a very special person to be a, a submariner. And I'm, and I'm proud to know a lot of them. And on this note, Jim, I just like to, um, I just like to ask you, there's one final question. And, you know, this is a, tr- at this show, on this show, we're creatures of tradition. There's always, you know, a traditional question, which we close with, you know, And I said before that this is a show by readers for readers. Okay. And so I'd just like you to tell me, can you tell me about some books which maybe you're reading right now or maybe you've just finished reading that you could maybe tell tell our audience about that you think our audience should know about? Well, I mean, I, I can talk about, talk about my books. Um, you know, my probably my the book I'm most proud of is my 75 Years of the Lockheed Skunk Works. And out of the 11 heads of the Skunk Works, Kelly Johnson being the uh, the guy who founded the Skunk Works, uh, to uh, I, think John, uh, I think it's Bob uh, Johnson, I believe his name is, is the, the newest vice president general manager of the Skunk Works. To quote uh, uh, Jeff Babion, who was heading up the Skunk Works when I finished the book and I did a book signing there, He said he has, he, he in his man cave, he has books that no one's allowed to touch because there are his prize. And they're both my books. One of them is on the, the Lockheed Blackbirds, and I cover everything from the original design drawings all the way up to the end. And the other one is my 75 years of the skunk works. I had Sherm Mullen, I had Jack Gordon. These are presidents, former presidents, or you know, or the heads of the Skunk Works. Uh, I had uh, a total of five of the eleven former heads of the Skunk Works. I think my Blackbird book and my seventy-five year book uh, are classics, and I'm I'm the most proud of that. And the and the fact that I'm I was at a function in D.C. this summer this past summer, and they had a group of uh, people talking. And one of them was a, a former U-2 pilot. I don't recall ever meeting him, but I want to introduce myself because I was uh, there with the group that put everything together. And I went up and said, I'd like to introduce, I'm Jim Goodall. I said, Yo, I know who you are. And that part just cracked me up. But that Because uh, I've been doing this for so long. I've been uh, My first book didn't come out until... Uh, 1990, but I have been being a pain in the rear to our government asking for this and asking for that, you know, since the 1960s. So I have uh, even, even some of the uh, places I go to shoot spooky airplanes, I've, uh, you know, it's, it's, it cracks me up that I'm as well known as I am. And I, I'm, I'm honored to know a lot of the people One of my dearest friends passed away last year was John Lear. John's dad was Bill Lear of Learjet. 
and you know, I hung around with him and 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 his various friends. I uh, is it is it's nothing. It's nothing that I ever thought that would it would occupy my time and and give me a, a a meager living. You don't make money being a writer unless you're uh, a world-renowned celebrity. If you broke down what I made per hour, not counting all my out-of-pocket expenses, traveling, cameras, computers, uh, hotels, food, wear and tear on my cars, wear and tear on me. And, and if you just, my hourly wage on everything I've made in 29 books, maybe one or two cents an hour is what I get paid. But I do it like most of us do it because it's a passion. And to me, my passion are things that our, our United States government said, you know, no, this is classified. We can, you, you can't know anything about it. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to find out as much as I can. And I've generally been ex- successful in doing it. And mm, Jim, it's been, it's really, it's really been an honor to have you on our show. Well, I'm, delighted, I, I'm delighted to be here. So. so when you write your next book, I certainly want to have you with us again. Well, my, my next my next book, I already know what it's going to be, and it's about 95% done. It should be called Interviews at Mach 3. And I've interviewed 14 or 15 guys that were either pilots crashed one, designed the engines, designed the airframe, uh, or the avionics. And I, uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm just blessed by the, you know, the people that I, that my hobby, and that's what writing is. It's a hobby. Uh, I'm just delighted that the acceptance I've had in, in the industry that I really have no direct involvement in. You know, people say, well, how in the heck can you go, you know, go do a book signing at the Skunk Works? I said, because I did something that they liked. I mean, if I had asked it, you know, I'm going to write a book and I want to come in and do it, have a book signing at the Skunk Works, they're going to laugh at me. Now, I will possibly this spring have a book signing at the, the, the new B-21 Raider production facility there at Palmdale. I, I did a, a hardbound book uh, on the B2, and I managed to get it to the, you know, the, the, the head guy who buys everything for uh, that type of stuff for, for Northrop Grumman. And he said, I didn't know this book existed. And I said, well, it's been out, it's been out eight years. And, he's, and he's, he said, he's going to order a whole bunch of them. And if you'd like to come out and, and do an uh, autograph signing uh, sometime this, you know, this coming spring, we won't, you won't be able to see the B-21, but you'll be within 150 feet of it. But we'll bring you on you know, into site for at Palmdale. We'll make the announcement to, every, to all the employees if they, want, if they want your book or if they have your books, regardless of whether, whether, where they got them, if you have a book by Jim, Jim Goodall or James C. Goodall, I use those both names, bring it in. I'll sign them all. So I'm going to do that later on this. Uh, I'm going to do that probably early spring. That'll be fun. So, so we'll, well, when it's out, definitely come back to us. Thank you, Jim. My pleasure. And you have a wonderful day and uh, have a good weekend.